the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Lifeline. So glad to be with you on this very warm and uh, predictable day of weather, 5.06 p.m. on this Monday. I want to just look forward to talking to you for the next two hours on a number of of topics. Maybe you can help me produce some potpourri, if you will, or some gumbo, uh, some menudo. Um, (laughs) However way we put it together today, let's try to make today very practical, very Reflective, very uh, theologically rich, rich, socially relevant, and uh, politically and practically informative. You're listening to Jesse Gistan on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Just glad to be in the house one more day. Welcome, welcome, welcome. The number to reach me at one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven. Five, three, two, nine. So what's on the plate for you and I? The coronavirus um, kind of been the big topic for a lot of people all over the nation and the world. And I got up this morning having dealt with a number of personal challenges. And uh, I said, how might I be productive for two hours in the uh, atmosphere, the hemisphere, stratosphere within the ether of radio and internet to to be a blessing to you. I'm sure some of you are wondering what's going on with the issue of the coronavirus and how, how we are to kind of look at it and deal with it and address it, if you will. Um, <clears throat> there's a couple angles to look at it, I think. You can look at it for what it is uh, in terms of the kind of political uh, media uh, propaganda and dialogue and concerns that you see every day around the world. You can uh, basically buy into the punditry that you hear uh, on your conservative news circles, your liberal news circles, and, and even within your progressive news uh, news circles. They, however, don't. Uh, the progressives are not doing a whole lot of uh, hand wringing, if you will, around the coronavirus. They don't particularly care uh, about that issue. And I wonder why you get a little bit more of a, a kind of heated and uh, more of a kind of conspiratorial or a re- reactionary view on the part of your uh, Republicans, your conservative conservative talk radio has uh, kind of chimed in on this topic over the last couple of weeks and basically, you know, taking an opportunity to kind of blame China for the uh, origin of it. And then the dissemination of it is is suggested to have been intentional. And of course, you can go online and you can hear 
just a, a litany of things around uh, the aim and objective of this particular virus. <clears throat> then you'll get the liberals who basically want to blame Trump for the virus. And if not blame him, uh, utilize the, the virus to be a means of uh, impacting uh, the political race because of Trump's lack of clear presentation around the real and tangible uh, uh, concerns that the, the virus, the coronavirus poses for Americans. Well, and, and then again, on the third category, what about those of us who hold to a biblical worldview or one who sees the world through the prism of, uh, of scripture? Uh, theologically, how, how would we, uh, how would we uh, take this in hand? Well, we would take this matter in hand the same way we would uh, the, any of the uh, previous sort of a biological threats that we've had with diseases and break breakouts and and things of that nature. Uh, Ebola was the worldwide um, uh, conversation about four, five, six years ago, or maybe even 10 by now. It's been so long. But remember back then, uh, all of the news was that we had some uh, improprieties within the uh, realm of uh, science labs that led to the dissemination of the Ebola virus all over the world. And we were, you know, pinning the the tail on the donkey of uh, who was at the root and origin of it. And uh, we were afraid that we were entering into that final bold judgment of Revelation 16 through 19 and were scared then. And of course, people make all kinds of money when you are operating out of fear, whether politically, socially, theologically, practically, economically or what have you. When you are operating out of an irrational fear, then people take advantage of that as well. So. What about the grounded person? What about the individual who has a biblical insight and understanding that our world is filled with all of these kind of hiccups, if you will, birth pangs, if you will, uh, metaphorically speaking, um, recapitulation principles, historically, if you will, speaking again on a larger sociological paradigm. These events happen cyclically. If you guys know anything about life, you, you're going to have the, the bubonic plague several hundred years ago in Europe. You're going to have, uh, again, like I said, recently Ebola and uh, we've had our plagues throughout human history. And here comes another one. And we I think we talked at length last week about the need to maintain a kind of proportionate view around Corona because, well, it hasn't wiped out hundreds of thousands of people yet. It has not killed <clears throat> mass amounts of children. Excuse me. Uh, it has affected a few individuals and it does have a kind of variable about this particular uh, uh, virus that that can morph and develop and become more imminent, uh, imminent and much more menacing. If we uh, care to wait for it, we can't do anything else but wait and see. But if you read the news about it, if you would search the archives and, and look up all of the real medical institutions that know how to actually track viruses and determine what its basic DNA structure is and, and, and where its similarities lie in relationship to other viruses that are either under control, extinct, or um, <clears throat> uh, yet available for comparison, uh, what has really come to forefront is that fundamentally this particular virus called, as we know it in layman's terminology as the coronavirus, is said to have derived its origin from bats in caves. 
whether that be in uh, Asia or whether that be in Egypt, because they're really struggling between those two countries as to the origin of it. Because, you know, you know what nations do. You know what governments do. Whenever governments have uh, a problem with something that is what we call free radical and that free radical can take on many different morphations, uh, morphines. Whenever a government has a free radical of which they don't control, they can't they can't designate, they can't manage, they can't a maturing candidate, they can't uh, design a, a a a trajectory for it and a destiny for it. What they basically do is give you a very calm story that would be reasonable and rational, but certainly it caters towards calming down the people. Even though in reality, they may have no idea at all as to the predictability of this virus. Um, Again, the idea that somehow this virus is connected with bats and then the bat somehow infested food in China, which is the normative view that you're going to get when you uh, search the medical um, um, records and uh, um, databases on the Internet that let you know what's going on. Basically, apparently, some of the food in China and China's big, as you know, uh, several billions of people, at least a billion people and uh, markets that would be so massive in size and the inability to completely and adequately um, um, supervise and govern the food uh, products in that country. Hence, any kind of disease that would infect the food that the people would eat would then become a host within the people that eat it and the host. Uh, are the people that are eating it now are transferring that virus all around. Well, essentially, that's what's happening. Why? Because on a economic level, what we have done in terms of commerce and and transportation is we have uh, tracked all of the people who have come from Asia that may have been infected with the virus and stopped them, whether they are on cruise ships or airplanes or boats or trains or whatever. This is what we have done. This is what you and I know. And yet, you know, they have there have been people that have slipped through the cracks. And so we have it here in America. We're dealing with it right now off the shores of Oakland with uh, cruise ships. And uh, Governor uh, Newsom has uh, basically declared a state of emergency in California, even though we're not dealing with hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands or even thousands of actually known cases. We do know that it has the potential to break out. Um, you might already know those facts. Just kind of putting it out there to let you know if you don't know, because you got to have a foundation upon which for you and I to begin to build a set of assumptions, build a set of arguments, build a set of conclusions as to how we would view this. Well, when it comes to viruses and diseases and plagues and things of that nature, hey, um, when it comes to viruses, plagues and things of that nature, you know that they are we are coming from a biblical worldview that says our world is broken and we have to face the uh, brokenness in our world on many, many, many different levels. One of which is uh, is disease within the human species, uh, one of which is a breakdown in the sociological framework and stability of the human species. This, again, is why you and I would experience throughout history plagues going all the way back to the ancient world up to our present time. But we would also say that with regards to diseases that have the capacity to impact hundreds of people and thousands of people, et cetera, et cetera, all the way up to uh, tens of thousands of people, as was the Black Plague in Europe. 
that we can also indirectly connect it to the fall of humanity. Mankind has fallen, and as a consequence of fallenness in humanity, uh, we don't operate out of the greatest wisdom, and because of it, we open the doors through selfishness, through ambition, through um, through agendas that are not altogether healthy for the world. Uh, for things like these, either unintended consequences or intended consequences, to be um, <clears throat> Part of the impactful negative environmental results of human beings. So man's efforts. You can imagine this, right? You can imagine all around the world you've got uh, labs, which your best scientists in all of your countries either looking for cures for diseases. And the diseases are infinitesimal, if you will, in terms of their potential, their latent potential, not their practical manifestation, but their latent potential. So we're constantly working on cures for diseases. And what that requires a lot of times is is playing with the very difficult chess match of viral contaminants that could destroy hundreds of thousands and millions of people if it were to break out and, and not be controlled to find a way to uh, countermand it with, uh, with antidotes. And it is very possible that within this particular coronavirus that you and I are dealing with, that it could have been the uh, consequent of mankind, uh, whether that be in Europe, whether that be in Asia, whether that be in Africa with Egypt, as I have stated, that they've had their problems hiding information and and data from its own people, but they are recognizing a spike in the coronavirus over there. But also at the same time, um, we're having that problem in Asia. And we could very well be having that problem here. We do know that our media historically has actually frequently engaged in hiding information, softening the blow of the reality of data and information until it's gotten enough handle on that information to either reframe the narrative to calm Americans down or to uh, give it an interpretation that would make us look good and, again, reestablish security. What we know is the market plummeted significantly today plummeted significantly today because of the impact of that virus. The market did not may not mean anything to you or even to me, even though I'm somewhat in the market. I, you know, my trust does not lie in the economic stability of the world because they all are gathered together. When I come back, I'm going to talk to you about the four horsemen of the apocalypse and how they operate simultaneously as powers running through our world. And that as estimated by the prophetic prophetic vision of Christ and his apostles from the times of the apostles up to now, uh, elements of prophetic history, elements of human existence, elements of sociological tragedies and travesties have been coupled with uh, outbreaks of diseases that lead to famines, that leads to death. And uh, so when we come back, we'll look a little bit deeper into the biblical narrative, the the biblion, if you will, of its uh, uh, prophecy concerning these things that you and I are dealing with and how we are to engage this as any other generation of believers have engaged it for the purpose of making sure that we keep our eyes fixed on reality and not collapse into a mythical narrative that uh, that would cause us harm. The lines are all open, one 367 I'm going to take a break. We're going to pay some bills. After we pay some bills, we'll come back and continue our conversation on this Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. 
And now back to Lifeline. Time is 427 on this Monday edition of Lifeline. If you want to call in, the number is 1-888-367-5329. with your question, comments, or observations. You may have... Uh, you may have some questions for yours truly over the last couple of weeks or months over the topics that we have addressed. And maybe maybe uh, maybe it's worth uh, worth a conversation. Give me a call. The lines are open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine for years. And I, I've been on this particular program for a, a number of years, as many of you know. And whenever we come across a kind of period in time, an epic where um, the world is involved in a particular crisis, <clears throat> And that crisis takes on a kind of biblical proportion, at least uh, a uh, partial uh, biblical proportion uh, idea or imagery or a kind of motif, such as diseases or earthquakes or famines and pestilences, as the language would would put it. People try to to, uh, put it in context for their own lives and, and work it through. One of the things we know that's going on in Western culture with people at large is that they are there are lots of Americans struggling with anxiety. Anxiety has become one of the three major kind of illnesses with which Americans are suffering. Anxiety. Anxiety. And that's is quite remarkable, but it's also very clearly alluded to in Scripture in the Gospel of Luke, the Lord Jesus said plainly in the latter days, because of all of these kind of instabilities that we're talking about that take place in our world and because of technology that allows us <clears throat> to be exposed to these instabilities, um, we get anxious as to the implications or the inferences or the impact of them. And sometimes that anxiety is really rooted in the way in which our media communicates, propagandizes, or um, shapes and forms the narrative around it. And all I'm saying is, is that you, if you are sitting up and wondering you know, what, what to do, because what people are often, in fact, I don't know if you know, but today uh, we are shaking hands less with people uh, just in, in, in common parlance and in daily uh, interactions. And we're doing it at church as well. I don't know how many folks I've bumped elbows with and fists bumped and, and barely shaking hands. And I talked about this some 12, 13 years ago. And I said, you know, I think the Ch- our Chinese brothers got something going on over there. Rather than shaking hands, they bob that head up and down. Don't ever touch each other. I thought that was cool back then. But now it's becoming very practically wise. And that's because you can easily convey viruses and diseases through handshakes, can't you? I mean, if you were to sit around and think about what somebody just did with their hand (laughs) before they shook your hand. I mean, even going to church. Yeah, there you go. Now, and again, with the issue of anxiety disorders, I know so many people in the faith, so many believers that are struggling with it that they don't even want to come to church. Now, shame on you. Uh, But on the other hand, how do you how do you handle a world in which there are these four major cyclical events that are operating at the same time? universally, one more than the other at times, apparently, seemingly, but all of them simultaneously and concurrently operating within what the Bible calls the sealed judgments, the sealed judgments. 
you have these ma- three major trajectory events in the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. These three major events are called seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and bowl judgments. Now, the only legitimacy to the term judgment in this category is that it corresponds to the Old Testament mispah or misfat, and it has to do with God's decree, or we could call it Torah as well. It has to do with God's decree, God's word, God's sayings. But the seals that you read about in Revelation chapter 6 all the way to chapter 8 in terms of their uh, disclosure, these seals, so I'll do some teaching now, do some reading in a moment. When you think about seals, simply think about the authoritative right to unveil or disclose information that has been uh, royally decreed or divinely purposed or legally drafted that had no public viewing until the seal was broken or removed. So often in the church, when we talk about the seal judgments, uh, we're really not talking about the judgments of the seal. The seal is simply actually a tool, a a means by which uh, affirming the authority of the contents of the scroll or the writings by an insignia, by an authority who has the right to conceal it and an authority who has the right to open it up. These seals have been found all around the world. You can find them in your Bible in the Old Testament, New Testament, all over the place. They are often made up of clay, and these clays uh, clays would have the insignia, the image of an authority, whether a king, a monarch, a ruler, a despot, whomever. It could be even the seal of a, a businessman or a businesswoman, uh, the seal of a family, if you will, uh, which would identify the property as theirs. The goods as theirs, particularly if you're dealing with certified letters. And so what you're dealing with, with the sealed judgments or the seven sealed uh, scroll that we read about in Revelation 6 through 8 is that it is simply sharing with us that the seal has the authoritative insignia of God behind it as being something that has been already written, already decreed, already purposed to be Uh, made manifest to a particular people group when the right person who has the authority to break the seal occurs. And according to Revelation chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, the Lord Jesus Christ, after his resurrection and ascension back to heaven at the right hand of his father, was the one who had the authority as the lion of the tribe of Judah, as the lamb of God, to break the seals. If you read Revelation chapter 6 through 8 very carefully, the seals were broken one at a time, and there were seven seals. Seven seals. And each seal broken unveiled a certain decree of human events that are divinely guided with redemptive and worldwide implications. Seal one is broken open in chapter six. Seal two is broken open in chapter six. Seal three is broken open in chapter six. Seal four, seal five, and seal six are all broken up in chapter six. When you and I talk about what has been famously talked about as the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the white horse, the red horse, speckled horse, and black horse, 
Those are all four unveiled decrees that were released sequentially at the breaking of the seals. Let me do a little speaking on this. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, John says, And I saw when he who had the right to the scroll opened up one of the seals, being the first seal, that what came out of that first seal was a white horse with a rider on it who was not identified with a bow in his head. And immediately we are looking at an Old Testament uh, Zacharian a motif of authority and supervision over a region of the world. So Zechariah gives us the motif of the horses riding through the land of Israel and Palestine, decreeing peace or decreeing judgment. You can see that in the opening of Zechariah and for the first several chapters. So this is Old Testament motif brought into the New Testament as the folks at Grace are learning. The white horse that's riding there cannot be legitimately and biblically interpreted any other way other than to describe the preaching of the gospel, of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So that seal that's broken open and the scroll being partially unfolded, and I'll talk about that after the break, that seal being broken open and the scroll being partially opened, the first thing you know is that at God's greatest priority in terms of what's going to take place in our world is the going forth of the preaching of the gospel. That is indicated by a rider on a white horse with a bow who is going forth, conquering and to conquer. Now, of course, you have other interpreters, and we can get into that in the future. But the fact of the matter is, is when you look up the white horse, whether in the Old Testament, New Testament, certainly within the inner testament of the book of Revelation, you cannot get away from who really is the white horse, the rider on the white horse. Revelation 19, 11 and 12 clearly lays him out. In fact, that particular seal judgment is the first seal judgment that is actually described about in Matthew 24, where Jesus is speaking on the Olivet Discourse about the things that will unfold in the uh, in the recent near future of the Apostles' Day all the way throughout uh, the uh, end of time. So we've got wars and rumors of wars. That's the red horse. We've got famines and we've got pestilences of all kinds. That's the speckled horse. We've got death as a consequence of famine and pestilences of all kind. That's the black horse. But the white horse has to be understood, as Jesus said, and this gospel shall be preached into all the world, and then the end shall come. So in the Olivet Discourse of Matthew 24, you actually have all four seals already uh, anticipated in our Lord's prophetic words. The white horse, the red horse, the speckled horse, and the black horse. Jesus said these would be things that would go on until the end of time. What for? The preaching of the gospel, the ministry of the church around the world. Wars and rumors of wars because of political powers at war with each other. And at war against God, quite frankly. Famine and pestilences that impact our economy, as we learned over the last week and up to today, that this coronavirus has impacted our economy to the degree that the market plummeted almost to the same measures as was some uh, 12 years ago in 2008. Why did it plummet? Because of diseases. Because of diseases. In, In times past, our market would plummet because of wars. You guys know that. 
There is an inner correlation between war, uh, famine and disease, uh, instability of our economy, that is goods uh, and commerce, and, and human stability. So since the days of our Lord Jesus and the days of the apostles, between Christ and his coveted son, John, to whom he gave the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, he would let the church know that no matter what the the political or economic or sociological conditions of the world would be, listen carefully, the white horse of the gospel would continue to go forth in all the world as a remedy to all these problems. So I guess one of the things I'll I'll say to you before we come back and talk a little bit more about the red and speckled and bay horses before we get to the uh, black horse is that um, you you don't have to worry so long as you and I are in this age of grace. What really is a priority to, to God? What really is a priority to God is that we make sure that we get the gospel out. It's the only solution to people's brokenness. Think about it. I mean, I I invest in the market, and some of you probably do too. But the market is not at all my uh, point of refuge. I don't take any real stock in the market as the basis of my hope for eternity at all. Woe unto you that puts your trust in man, that makes man your strength, your arm. The believer is called to put his trust in the Lord, find his refuge in God. Uh, peace comes and peace goes. Jobs come and jobs go. Relationships come and relationships go. Health comes and health goes. Y'all know that. If you've been if you've been on this planet any time now, as have I, what you know is uh, we have good days and bad days. Some days we have days where we are uh, on top of the world, if you will, prospering in all categories. Some days we have good days economically. We have a trajectory of of, uh, economic prosperity that uh, puts us in a stable uh, position mentally, emotionally, psychologically, socially, uh, relationally, and even maybe spiritually. I certainly want economic peace. I don't know about you. I don't really want my money being messed with. Uh, I I also want... um, I want physiological peace. I want peace in my physiology. I want to be healthy physically, which is a growing concern for many of us as well. Is it not for you? Um, you know, my, my health is an issue with me at, at my age. I'm, I'm dealing with some things right now. I have to get ready to face some some uh, rehab and some therapy. <laughs> and I was saying to myself the other day before it happened, I'm like, man, I never went through this before. Well, yeah, like before you become legitimately an OG, you don't go through those things. But when once you do, you start facing some of the fragility of the human makeup that other people do as well. But again, my question to you before I go to break is, uh, are these circumstances, are these troubles, are these events that's taking place in our world, are they are they causing you anxiety? Did you lose a lot of money in the market, child of God? Uh, and, and you didn't know that that possibility could occur. Uh, you do know that if you hang in there long enough, generally as a rule, these things rebound. Um, is the coronavirus causing you to be mentally troubled, mentally challenged? Did it modify your relationship with people so significantly that you you don't want to be around people? You don't want to engage them? Um, did it make you mad at God? 
uh, quite frankly, because people can get mad at God when God uh, says things are going to happen, instabilities are going to occur, and, and events are going to happen. And, and anybody that has a healthy view of God knows that God is sovereign. Nothing could occur unless it has been permitted by God or are intentionally and actively decreed by God. Just a fact of the matter. God hasn't uh, gone on vacation and left the world on a wind-down mode and we had a hiccup. Nope, he's in control of diseases. I wound, I heal. I, uh, I, I make alive, I kill. I kill, I make alive. God does all these things. I create uh, the darkness, I create the light. I bring calamity on the world, Isaiah 45, 7. You know that. And so uh, these things are, are in the hand of a, a sovereign God. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, this is why the seal judgments are, are set forth, because the seal, that scroll that you read in Revelation chapter 5 and 6, of which Jesus had the right to open up that scroll. You know what the word scroll there is literally in the Greek? Biblion. Some context, biblios, the genitive, I mean, the nominative form subject. Uh, the Biblion, uh, the accusative form, it's literally the Bible, the Word of God, the book. So what's being unfolded before your eyes and mind is one consistent, concurrent, increasing, progressive revelation of the book. The seal was just holding the contents of the book back. But as one seal is peeled back, the book is unfolding like a scroll. And the contents that are written thereon are coming to pass as historical realities. And it's like you can just open up the scroll as the Middle Easterner, the scribe would do, as the folks in the East would do. And you can read that scroll and you can see what's taking place. And as that scroll opened up, the first seal that opened up, the first set of writings after the seal was broken was about the white horse of the ministry of the gospel. The second seal that he opened up while that scroll was yet rolling. It couldn't go any further because it's still bound by a second seal. You got that? One scroll, seven seals. That second seal is bust open, and now we're dealing with a rider on a red horse, and he was designed to take peace from the earth and create war. Well, we have that too. Not as radical and and bombastic as has been or will be, but we have it. We've got wars. So we've got the gospel going in all the world, thank God, because you and I wouldn't be saved without it. It's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes. But we also have the red horse of war going on. No doubt about that. We still have the potential for major holocaustic um, uh, outbreaks of uh, nuclear war if we're we're not careful. And then we're getting ready to look at the third seal open as the scroll opens up a bit more and deal with the writer with the scales. Famine. you know, ration of foods that can definitely happen with this coronavirus if we're not careful. So I'm going to take a break because it's time to pay some bills and uh, uh, just take a break. Uh, the number, the number again is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you want to chime in on on the conversation, if you if you don't, you can just keep listening and I'll keep talking through this bird's eye view of how we are to look at our world through a biblical eye, a biblical prism, a biblical framework. Whatever you do, don't panic. Okay, don't jump off the ship. Don't do that. Strap down and get ready for the ride and walk by faith. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. The number again is one 367 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. 
And we're back the time, 541, on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Three lines open, one 888 if you want to call in with your questions or your comments or observations, you may join our conversation, one 888 Let me go to line number one and speak to Elura. Elura on line number one. Are you there, Elura? Yes, sir, I am here. I just wanted to share my opinion about sort of what's going on from a biblical worldview. I um, think of the scripture in, in Ecclesiastes, it talks about there's a time and a season for everything that happens. And um, I look at what's going on right now, and I see people at the grocery stores rushing and buying up all the toilet tissue and buying up all the water. And I believe it's okay to take precautions, mm-hmm. but I also think it's important to not overly um, be in a panic, to not live in fear. Um, and another thing is to understand that maybe um, it's okay to also invest in the stock market, just like um, anything in life, it's a risk. And we never put our trust in man, but we do understand we have to live life. Right. I mean, starting a business, that, that's a risk. If sure. you start a business and there's a natural catastrophe like an earthquake or a flood and your business can't function and you lose money on that, that was um, a risk you took and it was an investment. And, and life, it's wise to invest and not live in fear and do the things that you want to do, but just understand you're not putting your faith in man. You are putting your faith in God, but understand life has cycles and you react accordingly and you, and you try to ask God for wisdom so that you are prepared. Um, like you said, there's times there's sickness and there's times there's health. Yep. There's times there's wealth and there's times it's not. Yep. We have to learn how to abase and abound and adjust accordingly and to not live in fear and just know that's what life is all about. But I think the biggest thing I, lo- uh, I, I look at this whole situation is that there are times in life that God allows situations to happen to bring us back in touch with humanity because we get so involved in our lives and we're going, 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 going. And we don't take a, a second to just connect and understand what, how as a human race we're all interconnected and how it's so important to um, not just be into the rigor of your whole daily routine, to stop and understand how we need each other in society and we have to care for our planet, we have to care about the things that we do and how, how we're interconnected and to be more um, compassionate. And I, I see God allows these things. I'm not saying he causes it. But there's fires, there's earthquakes, there's like we had 9-11. Sometimes it takes something like this that people can just stop and not be just so involved in their daily life and their own personal routine to make us be more considerate and more compassionate as just human beings. And so I think that um, it's a moment to stop and just realize and also be grateful. So just wanted to say that. Yeah, it sounds good. Let me ask you one question relative to the coronavirus, because your your ethical out your ethical implications are explicitly clear. I think they're biblical too, Allura, in that um, when we enter in, enter into crisis, that's a New Testament concept for trouble. Uh, the ellipses is tribulation. When we enter into tribulation as a society, it forces us to look at our commonalities. It really does. Uh, and then it exposes us for our weaknesses and vulnerabilities. It uh, further uh, exposes us for our selfishness 
and maybe misprioritize life. It's a beautiful thing. God has a purpose for it. In fact, the chapter that you quoted in the book of Ecclesiastes says everything is beautiful in its time. And then it begins to expand on the concept of distinguishing between times of war and times of peace, times of love, times of hate, et cetera, et cetera. And and Solomon got that cyclical pattern um, right. And if we walk in that, then we can be we can be ready to handle the abnormality that breaks into our normalcy patterns, as you had stated um, earlier. The believer has to learn how to be grounded and rooted in another world that doesn't shake while living in this world that shakes frequently. You have to have a basis under you that's much more consistent than uh, the whimsical nature of this world. But here's the question I'm going to ask you uh, relative to something you said that linked everything that uh, you were uh, observing together, and that is compassion towards your fellow men. How would we uh, extract from this coronavirus a need to demonstrate or show compassion to our fellow men? Where would the coronavirus at this moment it it could change and become more evident down the line. But at this moment, where would a focal point be in your understanding of our commonality as human beings in the area of compassion? How could we exhibit compassion under this particular circumstance as an opportunity as a believer? There's so many different areas. There's nothing, no one specific um, way that we can. I just feel that it it makes us more conscious because we're not as conscious when we're just involved. Even as Christians, we can just be so wrapped up in our oh, I gotta do this. I have to finish that. I have to get through my day with my family. I have to get through school. I think it just makes you more conscious and more aware as a as a person um, to not just be so self focused. You're more um, aware and more considerate just as a human being. I mean, there's so many things we have to address in society. We have a, a mass homeless situation that is becoming um, it's already epidemic. Eroding. It's already it's already no epidemic. One, and everyone's ignoring it. I feel like it should be a federal issue where there should be something done from a federal to a state level and everyone's just ignoring it and it's it's really um, an issue with how our society is built and we're not at all paying attention to it. That in itself to me is inhumane. Um, but I just think with this virus it's like Okay, I can't just go on a vacation and go on a cruise or I could get stuck on that ship. I think even the people that are on these ships and going through whatever, they're more aware, more conscious. But globally, we're being more conscious and aware that we can't just live in our own little bubble in our life and think that we can't be impacted. And I think in turn, that can turn into more compassion towards others. I don't know if it's there yet. But God sometimes allows these situations to happen so we can get there because he tries to get our attention just as human beings, not even just Christians. Um, and I just noticed that, like, we just had just the fires in Australia that raged on for how many months and people didn't even pay attention to it until all of a sudden. And um, we had them in California. And um, sometimes these things happen because God wants to make us more human. Even when I look at how Kobe passed, it made us a little bit more human. So um, I just want to that, – that's what I said. I can't say something specific. I just feel like there's so many things that we could do, and and we're not, but this makes us a little bit more, um, uh, we feel more. I agree. I agree. Excellent. Excellent. Is this your first time calling? 
Oh no, I call, I've called you more than once. I've, I've talked to you about the Kanye West thing. We, we've had okay, okay, a few okay. conversations. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Thank you. Williams and Naomi Osaka. Yeah, so yeah. I've called more than once, but God bless you. You too. Thanks. Thanks for the call. Uh, I think I agree with Allura in terms of uh, humanitarian efforts uh, being like the only appropriate thing that can come out of calamity and tragedy. That certainly did happen with the. Um, with the fires here in California, and it did happen in Australia as well. And it will happen anytime we have a major calamity that our, uh, our institutions call acts of God, particularly because acts of God in terms of nature uh, overthrow all of our events, overthrow all of our plans. It completely thwarts all of our purposes and sets us at a standstill where now we have to help each other. I totally agree with that. I'm trying to get my hands, wrap my hands around the uh, manner in which we can express uh, humanitarian efforts as a platform for the gospel in this coronavirus thing. So I'm, I'm thinking through whether or not, because <laughs> I'm supposed to be going on a cruise in a couple months, and I'm really, me and my wife are thinking through through. Uh, is this thing going to be handled by the time we get on that boat or are we going to be on the other side of the world and have to sit on that boat for three or four months? Um, and, and what would we do? What would you do on the boat where you're quarantined because of potential virus and you got people on the boat who are sick and uh, are people with, on the boat potentially sick? Are you going to enter into a hostile mode of variance and conflict towards each other? Are you going to kind of just, you know, stay over in the corner and don't get in, get near any of the airborne potentialities of anyone breathing, hacking, hawking and coughing, et cetera? Or are you going to take precautions, clean your hands, use uh, whatever measures that are possible for um, self-preservation and then jump right into the fray of helping human beings who may be more weak and more infirmed and more vulnerable to the disease? I think that's a good observation and good point of consideration. The other thing, Allura, I'll tell you what I appreciated about your uh, observation of how come calamities are given to us by God. He does bring them. I can tell you now. We don't like to admit it, but uh, all things work together after the counsel of his own will. It's impossible for uh, an event to occur, happen, or take place without the sovereign God determining it purposing it, allowing it, or bringing it to pass. It's just a fact of the matter because he can stop anything he ever wants, but he lets it happen. Um, The one that I I definitely appreciate in terms of her thoughts is this issue of homelessness. I've been saying it to my own congregation for a while about the the, uh, omen of homelessness. It's an omen. Homelessness is an omen. Whenever a society, a, a tribe, a uh, a, a city, uh, a state has the levels of homelessness that our major cities, California, New York, and, and others. I was in Texas several months ago, saw homelessness everywhere. Uh, one of the things that I'm seeing with the homeless element is a mental illness as well. This is going back to my, my heart felt concern about anxiety levels rising on the part of the social polity of Americans also. Uh, but I'm going to take a break, pay some bills. I've got three lines open, one 888 talking about the seals. I'm going to come back and talk about the red horse of war and uh, a lack of peace uh, and, and how that impacts us when we have to deal with constant tremors of the unknown and the vulnerable and the uh, potential harm that can come to us if we're not rooted and grounded in a way that keeps us from breaking down psychologically and emotionally and, and spiritually. 
one 367 Love to hear from you. one 367 I'll be right back. <laughs> 